Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Polities Podcast. We are delighted to tell you that we've done it. We have another magazine, the longest one yet, but don't let that scare you. Is it really? It is, yeah. 114 oh, wow. pages of goodness, of sheer entertainment for you. Subscribe sheer now, immediately. Your aunt wants a subscription, she called us. So please, how about your aunt? This is like entertainment for people who like hiking. They're like, I love walking up with a giant pack on my back. This is so fun. Uh, every fourth issue of New Polity Magazine, which is what this happens to be, we do a um, resource collection. Actually, that sounds terrible. We, what we do is we try to decon- <laughs> It's really exciting, I swear. <laughs> you know uh, how- it's, it's topical. It's one topic. It's well, one theme, topic, yeah. and it's... And it's uh, well, I mean, it is really helpful because um, there are certain topics that we think about here, but it's just nice to have a lot of the authors that we're drawing from all in one place yeah it's an easier way to be drawn into the new polity conversation because at least on the podcast it can just feel like you're just like picking up like little bits and pieces yes yes which is Um, in part because of our ignorance and inability to say things clearly and succinctly but we're working on it uh (laughs) kind of (laughs) we actually a lot of people don't know this about new polity when we first and andrew and i um were first having these conversations that led to starting the, the the journal, the magazine, um, one of the things we wanted to do was publish a lexicon, like a dictionary of keywords of modernity oh, where we gave them new definitions or old definitions. Basically, we think that the way that liberalism works is by changing words. Right. Um, something like liberty, um, for instance, becomes a kind of protection of the person from any outside interference and that becomes the definition of of freedom and so part of the idea is well if we're going to try for a catholic revolution then what we need to do is is deconstruct the keywords of modernity and so we wanted to do is quite literally do that like all right here's freedom here's rights here's liberty here's gender yeah possible project at one point yeah totally i I didn't do it and i think we still should but what we (laughs) realized very quickly is um, that's not something you do in a weekend. That's something very difficult. Um, right. And that is actually the entire work of of New Polity is is to go over those words and, and allow people to have a new understanding so that when the world says liberty, you can understand something quite different by it, mm-hmm. freedom in Christ. Now, that, I think, has taken its more realistic form in these fourth right. issues, where basically we take a yeah. word gender in this case, and we try to provide what's necessary for people to understand that according to the light of truth, the light of Christ. And we've done it with only twice. So mm-hmm. we've done it with technology before this. Um, mm-hmm. But what it, what I hope is as we, as we do this over the years, eventually we'll have that lexicon in um, issue form, as it were. Right. Well, the other thing that I like about it too is that the articles that are being drawn together uh not not all of them are like new polity's position on gender yeah uh it's just important um i guess stepping stones for the conversation like there's a uh aquinas on gender in here and there's things that we agree with and things that we disagree with but if you skip that step of the conversation it's just not going to make any sense um which i think is helpful going in especially with the fine or is it i think it is the final essay the federici yes essay because she's um a feminist marxist so 
there's obviously places where we have major disagreements, but uh, it's an important stepping stone in the conversation, I think. Absolutely. So here it is. Please buy the magazine. It's available as a single issue right now, or you can just stop delaying and subscribe. <laughs> uh, this one has um, an overture for myself. It has uh, Gertrude uh, von Lefort, who is a wonderful writer on the mystical uh, symbolism of woman. The eternal woman. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Um for and against women. <laughs> Ivan Illich, a dear favorite of ours here um, on gender. And then two really substantial and I think mm-hmm. earth-shattering essays by D.C. Schindler. Now these have been out for a while. They're reprints from Communio, but they have gotten no attention, even though I think huh. they have forever changed um, the philosophical and theological conversation on gender. Yeah, so we are it. going to dive into yeah. those at some point just because it's it's... Those, I think, are the most difficult ones to read, and it's helpful to mm-hmm. have some of the background going in. Um, but before that, uh, we want to talk about the boys. The boys. The boys. Uh, and thank you. And we want to thank all of you for letting us talk about gender. I mean, they, it's, it's probably an idiosyncratic thing that, like, you know, Mark just doesn't know what it is to be a boy. So he's uh, got to do all this research, and we have to read it. So thank you, everyone, for joining us on this. This is just confused <laughs> academics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um I really appreciate it. Uh, I I I am always delighted to get emails from people saying like, "Thank you for talking about this." Because in, in all sincerity, sometimes when I write, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, am I the only one who's just like doesn't understand basic biology?" And that's like <laughs> my problem. <laughs> but no, it turns out it's a confusing topic, and we're hoping to shed some light. Right. Well, I uh, I really enjoyed the overture. Um, Thanks. Yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic, and I thought it was really entertaining, um, but also very clarifying. It's just it's so it's so gratifying to see to have someone point out an experience that you've already had, but never been able to put words to. Walker Percy said, "The point of the novelist is the moment when the reader steps back from the book and says, yes, that's how it is.'" And yeah, and it's really horrible when it happens when you're reading notes from underground. <laughs> that character's so nasty, and you're like, yes. oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah, a little spider person. <laughs> ah. uh, so Alex Denley, um, who runs our sound here, gave me this little pillow uh, to keep my face <laughs> in front of the microphone. I, this is not super uh, clarifying for people who are just listening here, but I want you all to know that for the sake of your listening pleasure, I have this little pillow. <laughs> To keep your face it's next to the mic. It's very uncomfortable. I'm just very aware of it. I'm trying to ignore it and get into my groove here. Um, but, but to talk about the boys. Yeah, um, the boys. One of the things that you're pointing out in the overture, and I know that this is something that we're going to talk about later uh, in the next uh, gender podcast yep. series, um, is the idea of men and women being complete in and of themselves. Totally. Um, yes. And uh, I like that you pointed out that uh, I guess like in the gender conversation, it's really easy to somehow in, in different ways slip into the language, even if we don't think of it as seeing men and women as being incomplete halves. I mean, we all know how stupid that is. Yeah. Um, like uh, this idea of, oh, you complete me. It's like we know that's not true, but still, even philosophically, I think we fall into that kind of language just because it's so easy. Well, I think, Maria, if I can, I, I know you know this. Uh, but if I can mansplain this, <laughs> I think the reason 
why why we do this philosophically is because we're scared. We're scared that gender is going to become fluid uh, and that the boys will be lost forever. And so we look for a place of great security and, and the entire conservative world seems to have centered in on um, biological description of man as the place where we will get the, the sealed off surety that men well, are men and women are women. Biological, but also looking at the biological and reducing it just to function. Right, like, right, which is hard for us not to do. Men make sense as a, a category that can't be changed, moved, and it yes. is binary and in opposition to women because of this function. Right, and how and do we know And if you reduce that- it to the function, then you do get the impression that, well, because you can't reproduce on your own, then what it means to be man is somehow incomplete. Totally, exactly. So when you, yeah, exactly. When you when you make the bi- the biological reduction, then then everything about gender, whatever it is, Mm-hmm. can ultimately be described as an epiphenomenon, as something kind of coming from what's fundamental, which is that you have an incomplete half of one total reproductive system or one uh, incomplete instantiation of a singular generative power. Mm-hmm. And so everything about gender can be described in that way, which means that everything about gender should be incompleteness uh, right. until the point of sexual reproduction. So everything about... But that's about, just... Uh, well, it's just not our experience. No, not at all. And that's why the boys are so important. Yeah. The boys are... <laughs> I grew in great appreciation for the boys. I already appreciate yes. the boys. I don't want to be one. I appreciate I the girls. I don't want to be a part of the And boys. I don't want to have anything to do with them. <laughs> I mean, this is, this, is, this is the idea. So maybe I can... Um, maybe I can give uh, some kind of sense of what I said. But before I do, Schindler's quote here is really great because it kind of just says it. He says in his essay included here that um, that sexual attraction, he says, happens not out of a desperate need, an escape from the tragedy of partial existence, but more generously. The union of the genders is fundamentally a sharing of our wholeness that coincides with a certain completion of it rather than a negative overcoming of our own lack. Yeah, that was and awesome. just to have someone say that, like burst open the doors and let in the fresh air because mm-hmm. it seems to me that that is the experience of falling in love. That's the experience of being a boy. That's the experience of being a girl is to experience a whole mode of being human that right. does not require something to make up for some tragic lack within it. Uh, and then to hear that this is not, in fact, the case is ridiculous. So one of the ways I want to prove this to, to, to talk about the boys is <laughs> is the talk. So the talk. Now, if it were the case that everything about gender is um, for the sake of reproduction. And this incompleteness. And this incompleteness. Mm-hmm. Then it would seem to me that the experience of being a girl or being a boy mm-hmm. would be one of uh, unknowing of confusion. Yeah, you just you would grow up as a and child like, well, something's missing. Something's, some, yes. mis- something's missing and I can't figure you it out. You would long and pine in the Garden of Eden as we <laughs> lie about the second book of Genesis. Um, <laughs> And then your parents would sit down and they give you the talk. And then it'd be, aha. Wow, everything, everything makes sense now. <laughs> my incompleteness has its its functional uh, completeness in the other person. I am meant for the other. The other is meant for me. And when we come together, everything makes sense. Wow. This is actually, I think, the it's the fundamental principle of a lot of the, like, the popular theology of the body thing, where it's like you look down and you don't understand what you're for. And it's like, okay. Theoretically, I can understand that, but no one ever did that. No. (laughs) Right? It's not like, I don't know. Anyway, so the point is that precisely the opposite of what you would expect happens. So if if, talk is horrifying. (laughs) Right, exactly. So if what we would expect is that you have this 
this confusion, and then the talk clarifies it. In fact, what happens is you have a lack of confusion, a wholeness. You are mm-hmm. enjoying being the boys. You are building forts. You are excluding girls, right? right? You are sometimes fighting with them, sometimes enjoying their presence, but as the boys and as the girls, and the girls mm-hmm. are doing the same to you, though differently. Yep. And this makes sense. And then your parents, for some unknown <laughs> reason of their own, sit you down and tell you that, did you know that all this stuff is in fact for that? And you're like, what? You have like it's a trauma. It's traumatic. You have to kind of reassess everything. Oh yeah, you can't you look at to... adults the same. Yeah, and, it, like, and it, it, no way. It's like they gave you a secret, and it kind of entered into your world, but not as something that made sense of it, but as something alien and foreign. Right. And right. the typical reaction to it is basically like, um, a little bit of offense mm-hmm. that the adult brought that to you. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it just seems to me like uh, on our most fundamental experience of it. We have the experience of a wholeness, and then a mis- and and then a, a the arrival of a mystery right. that we have to cope with as as um, something to do with our wholeness, something to do with our completeness that is mm-hmm. mysterious and does reach over to the other, and we have to incorporate into our world. It is not the sense of a right. lack finding its missing half. Right. So that's that's one example, and I like that you used just the boys and the girls i mean as children but also as adults is another example of that with the idea that you know the the guys hanging out doing their thing is there's a a complete world on their own and it's not like the boys are crying out for the girls to come so that they can be completed like if the girl i mean anyone knows like if you have like a group of guys as soon as a girl walks into the room the whole dynamic changes like the the boys are destroyed it's the the yoko ono (laughs) phenomenon it's uh yes we got alex Denley to laugh that's what we want um yeah exactly like the boys are are happy being the boys and the girls and it's a point of perfection mm-hmm. among themselves, mm-hmm. and it is a wholeness. It's a completeness. Right. And I think this is symbolized a lot in our tradition of the bachelor party, which obviously can be very perverse. But it seems that we understand innately that when a man falls in love with a woman, it's a drawing forth from a fraternity, right. uh, ideally. Now, granted, we are an alienated people right now. So some of this is like imagining a past almost. Like, yeah. like a lot of guys talk to me and say, like, I have no male friends to share my life with. And that is tragic. But I think even in that, you can see that you were meant for that deep Mm -hmm. male friendship that is inexplicable to women in its, in its core as women are meant for deep female friendships as well. Right. Um, All of which is to say that the uh, experience of falling in love is very much that you're drawn forth from a fraternity and the experience of wooing a woman is also very much one of I mean, I think everyone's had this experience maybe in high school, uh, but it does happen later too, even though women are denied friendships the older they get. Um, the experience of going and being terrified because you love a girl, but she's surrounded by these other girls <laughs> that you don't care about. And somehow, as uh, the Spice Girls say, uh, there's a there's a, a injunctive that if you want to be my lover, you've got to get with my friends, and that's horrifying because you don't care about that, <laughs> and you want to pull them from sorority even as they pull you from fraternity. In the bachelor party, there's a symbol of all this because what guys do is when one of the boys is going to be pulled out, they kind of indulge in this frenetic ritual of fraternity and and like the thing that you're not going to have. This is why it becomes perverse with strippers and stuff. Right, right. And there's that that is worthy. Of of nothing but contempt and condemnation. But 
what I think is the the true core of it mm-hmm. is the sense that there is a completeness that needs to be celebrated because you're not going to get it back once you marry. Right. Like you, you simply cannot join the boys in the same way. Um, and that all goes to show that DC Schindler is quite correct, that mm-hmm. what we are dealing with when we deal with gender, being a man, is a complete mode of being human, complete right. mode of what he'll call substance, um, and not a kind of version or, or, or half-done instantiation of a human substance right. that that pre-existed in some way, not pre-exists, but what we said before, not the incompleteness of a generative power that's divided mm-hmm. into two impotent parts until they get together. Yeah, so I guess kind of a practical note before, I think that'd be a good transition to move into Schindler's articles. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it really is a tragedy that both the boys and the girls have been destroyed. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with a, a friend of just like the frustration of not really being able to have all male spaces because women keep wanting to get into those spaces. Um, so that's like kind of one half of the equation. Uh, but I mean, the way that the the girls are the girls, like it's done differently. Um, and uh, yeah, they're just really, I think forming deep friendships is more natural for women because it seems to be more expected right now yeah, yeah. Um, than it is for like deep, male friendships to form and so in that way like that kind of uh like the girls is preserved but i mean we'll we have talked about this in the past and we will talk about this again just the women's world has really been destroyed and so i think that that's part of the reason why women keep wanting to enter into the male spaces is because there's not really that kind of space just for her either yeah i think that's quite right and it is it is really lovely to have those places where you have like both people like everyone yes. together, but it doesn't mean that all spaces should be like that. Well, and what I think people forget is that the boys are a sort of performance for the girls. And the, like, the, so what I mean is the boys are all messed up when a girl enters the room, but they all hope that girls notice their loud singing. I mean, I yeah. mean, they want to be recognized as the boys. So it's this paradox <laughs> where you try to join it, but the whole point is that it's kind of done for you in a certain way. And, mm-hmm. and, um, I think that one of, one of the things that this concept shows or explains is the way like attraction and flirtation works. Um, because the, well, that's kind of the, the anecdote that you had. Oh in, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay. Uh, so there I was, culture. can I tell it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was watching some boys timber frame and they were definitely the boys. They were being rowdy. <laughs> they were telling jokes and they were building, um, a house. Uh, it was at a um, uh, new quality adjacent thing. Yeah, home sitting conference, uh, and um, and w- they were up on the top. They were doing the roof part, and I was watching. And then one of the boys' wives stood next to me to watch her husband. And her husband saw his wife, and he jumped up from jumped out from his relatively safe position in the corner and balanced on the central beam where there was nothing to hold on to, like uh, you know. Karate Kid style, <laughs> and she snorted with disgust. Um, and she said, "Show off to him," mm-hmm. and he said, "You're here. What else can I do?" And the boys all laughed. And it was, I think, a very profound moment. I don't know <laughs> what they thought about it, but I thought it was very profound because what happened there? The the woman 
as woman did not desire the man uh, as her man to do what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, she snorted with disgust when it happened and found it to be kind of pig-headed and stupid. Right. But the boys, the boys liked it. They thought it was great. They they <laughs> like they like that kind of stuff. And and there it was. Now, you would be mistaken to think that the wife was not attracted to her husband in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not true. You could tell from the way she snorted in disgust that she was beaming with pride for her man up on that central beam, but not because of what he did. Like, rather, <laughs> rather, the boys, as a complete mode of being human, have their perfection that mm-hmm. does not cry out to women for completion. There is nothing in the woman that cried out for her man to endanger himself that she might be complete in herself. It simply did not happen. <laughs> Rather, the, she got to see her man become one of the best boys. The exemplary <laughs> the boy. Exemplary the boy, boy of boys. <laughs> because what it means when you have uh, completion within your own sex is that you now have the capacity to be the best version of that sex. Right. You mm-hmm. can be, and, and the Bible understands this. In the Song of Songs, whenever the lovers want to compliment each other, um, the the woman says, "Like a apple tree in the woods is my lover among men." Mm-hmm. And when the angel wants to compliment Mary, "Blessed are you among women," and when, and again in the Song of Songs, uh, well, it, it, so so the superlative is always a mode of sexual attraction. Right. But the superlative is only possible as a mode of sexual attraction if the boys and the girls exist. So if I exactly. was going to it's say... It's not like women are attracted to men doing stupid things. No. Like it's only if that stupid thing is a way of rising in the ranks of the boys. Totally. And and, and, and being, I think that the same is true in the opposite direction. Like men, I'm sure, are not aware of all like of how you climb the ranks of fashion. Right. Among women. Yes. Like they have no idea like what's going on with like the weird like clippy things. They yes. don't even have words for it. Clips. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's well, it's kind of like the phenomenon of of women having to explain to men like, well, you know, in part like we're dressing for you, but also we're yes. dressing for the other women. Yeah, it's and very that's the confusing. way that you climb yeah. the ranks among women. Like you have to. It's it's you're signaling to other women yes. that you know what you're doing. Yeah. That you're taking care of yourself. Um, and there's a great charity in being the boys and being the girls because sometimes you can listen to the way people praise their beloved and you can think that they're putting everyone else down. And right. I, I suppose there could be a perversion where that's really what you're doing. But, you know, if you say something like she's she like she knocks most. all women out of the water, that sort of thing, like some kind of grand like she's the best of them all. Yeah. It sounds like what you think everyone else is ugly and hideous. And it's right. like, no, no, no. Rather, precisely by being the girls, by being the group together we all in charity allow other people to rise up mm-hmm. as that person's well, most it's blessed among women. It's possible for you to appear as an exemplary. Yeah, I mean, unless you're among women, you cannot be most blessed among women. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, I think that, I mean, that's certainly like what like we desire in the opposite sex. Like this is someone that I find exemplary. Which is, you also have this phenomenon where women, where men like tell women like all their big work successes and women are proud of them, but they don't care what they do for work. Like, yep. Have you ever had this experience where it's like, there's a woman, she is so proud of her husband. He goes out, he works hard. And you're like, what does he do? She's like, um, I don't know. <laughs> marketing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's the point. It's because the success is success within. Mm-hmm. It's like they, it's like they're patting you on the shoulder and being like, I'm glad that whatever rituals your sex demands of you, you're winning. Like, 
babe. One hundred percent. And it's that similar. Is exactly. It's very similar. Uh, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up the makeup thing because this has been a perennial mystery that I think DC Schindler has solved because that's what he does. <laughs> uh, which he is didn't that, know he was solving this mystery, but he was. Because <laughs> men will always tell women. You know, like you're prettier without makeup. I, I like you don't need to do this for me, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. they mean it. They're not lying. Um, I mean, sometimes they are, but I don't <laughs> think they're lying. And then women will always insist it's not for you. It's not for you, even mm-hmm. though everyone knows on the face of it that if there were no men, there would be no makeup. makeup. Yeah. But when you look at it from this, you can understand it. It's like right. to put on makeup is to do something that women do. And what mm-hmm. men are attracted to is not the makeup as such, but the right. appearance of someone succeeding at the demands of their sex. Yep. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is open to corruption. Like, you know, uh, you know, if you're if you're a culture where like geisha full face makeup is is the way you achieve uh, success uh, right. as your sex or exemplary status among your sex, you might say there's a cultural problem there. And right. I don't want to deny that. I don't want to say like whatever we do goes or something mm-hmm. like that. But I think the structure is beautiful. The structure is that the girls and the boys have their games and mm-hmm. what attracts us to others is not like some kind of sickness in the person. Like, Oh, yeah. they really need me to complete them. You know, that, that in fact evokes a kind of disdain. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather the idea that they are mysterious in their sex. They are succeeding at a game that I know nothing of. And they right. appear in that glory is the kind of source of attraction. Or, or I think it really ought to be because whenever you see someone doing the like, Oh, I'm just I'm just broken and in need, and you complete me and fulfill me. I mean, as a guy, I don't know how you experience it as a girl, but like, as a guy, <laughs> yeah, I look no. at this and I'm like, yeah, sure, dude. Like you're uh-huh. you're totally uh, manipulating her. Yeah, you're trying yeah, to sleep yeah. with her, and so you're like posing as a wounded animal for her to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what I hate about the metaphysics of incompletion is that they take that manipulation and they make it a metaphysical principle. Like, yeah. Human nature in its generative power is only ever instantiated as a sickness. It's only ever like, here's one impotent human. Here's another generative power that doesn't work. And let's hope they all get together to complete the generative power that never instantiated in the individual, unlike every other part of human nature that somehow did manage to instantiate itself in the individual. Yeah. And so there's no completeness. Whereas anyone who looks at sexual attraction knows it's like, yeah, that comes from seeing the wholeness of the other person right. and wanting to do something with it. Well, that, that's the, uh, the other thing that I really liked that he pointed out. Um, I guess this is really coming from Schindler. Like falling in love is an invitation to enter another world. Like that's Beautiful. that's the exciting thing. Totally. Is that you're walking into a new world. Yeah, it uh, is. And it, I mean, it makes sense of why like you want people to be the exemplary because if you're not, yeah. then your world is less exciting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and so there's a, uh, there's a profound boringness. Boringness? It's yeah. very boring to yeah. live in modernity because its whole quest for equality is, is only ever performed through the destruction of different worlds. And so there's nothing to enter into. There's nothing to be invited into. It's all known in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 And if you just say that men and women are the same, give or take some qualities, that's yeah. not being invited into a new world. Yeah. Or on, on the other side, if you are invited into to a new world, it's like here's a world that like needs you. I don't mm-hmm. know. And it's just so obvious it doesn't. Like the girls do not need you. Yeah. They yeah. they're laughing when you walk in the room, and then they stop laughing and just look at you, and you're like. <laughs> 
well, what are you guys talking about? And you have no idea what they're talking about because why would you? Uh-huh. They're probably talking about babies though. Maybe. Sometimes they're talking about you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that I think, and I'm really glad we started there because if there's a reason to get this journal and if there's a reason to go through these essays, I think the, the biggest one is that it should confirm the experience that we've all had, but we've become shy to admit, mm-hmm. which is that gender is fun. Like it's fun to be a man. Yeah. It's, it's fun to be a I woman. Love being it a seems woman. fun. And that non identity draws us on and, and makes the world an adventure. I mean, there's a reason every freaking movie is a love story, even if you try not for it for it not to be. It's because Yeah, because that's the perennial fun of the universe. So Great. Well, we're all having fun. Uh, on that note, DC Schindler. <laughs> fun. <laughs> Call him uh, DF Schindler. David Fun Schindler. <laughs> yeah, he's just a fun guy trying to do fun stuff. Um, this will not be your experience reading this essay. No, I'm it's sorry. a slog. It's, it's hard. good. It is. It is definitely worthwhile. You should do it. Uh, I mean, but it is difficult, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about yeah. it. I think um, what I wanted to do is lay out the general argument that I am picking up from DC Schindler. If there's anything that I'm missing, you can provide that. And then I, I do have some questions because I'm still trying to work out some of the ideas in my own mind. Um, and I think it'll be helpful for people to hear going into the essay. It's going to make more sense of it. And that way, um, yeah, you'll you'll pick up more from it yeah. uh, in general. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the second essay. So there's two that we included. Um, one was called Perfect Difference. And I think that's like the really big substantial one. And then the second one is um, on uh, the gift of motherhood. But he begins by, uh, what's it called? Uh, summarizing, essentially, the conclusions that he reached in the first essay. So yeah. I, I'll begin there because I think it's helpful. Um, so essentially, you, you begin with um, kind of a problem of observation. Where did it go? Um, ah, yes, okay. Um so it's not uncommon to, spo- to respond to the question, are men and women different by looking at various personality traits? Men tend to be more aggressive, women tend to be more nurturing and so forth. The problem with this approach is that however much it may resonate as a general truth, at least to an honest onlooker, it also fails to satisfy that same onlooker if he remains honest. It does not seem to touch bottom, so to speak, to get to the actual heart of the matter. The inadequacy comes to expression not only in what somewhat in the somewhat tedious fact that one can always point to counterexamples mm-hmm. um, like aggressive women and nurturing men, but more profoundly the fact that traits, that is accidents of personality, will always be possessed and shared to different degrees by different people. Every male will have masculine qualities to some degree and also to some degree, perhaps less, certain feminine qualities and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is the general observation that we began with at the beginning of the last um, gender podcast series. Mm-hmm. Uh, why reducing everything to to biology and function is unsatisfying yeah. um, because you you have this sense that gender has to do with my whole identity and with all these personality traits. Um, but if Except for like the act of reproduction, basically we can all do the same things, but differently 
how, I don't know, then what exactly belongs? Like, it seems like there's nothing that belongs absolutely to the category of what it means to be a man and the category of what it means to be a woman, except for this function. Um, But somehow we seem like, see uh, strength or being aggressive or being nurturing as being like absolutely fundamental to what it means to be a man or a woman. So just the observation is just, we can't we can't put it in a box. It's frustrating. So what is it that really makes us um, men and women? So that, that's that's the problem that we're beginning with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, then, and I think it's it's worth pointing out um, that the, the the trouble with just saying that the well, it's just the reproductive act is that it doesn't seem true to the phenomenon. It's like if it is just the function of the reproductive act, then why not? Uh, do it as the Greeks did it and simply say, well, then there's not not man and woman um, actually, but there's just human beings who perform this particular function. Why can't we just have that as an adjective? Why does it become a noun? Why does it spread out and pervade the entire human person until they become a woman? Mm-hmm. That is, if it's just a particular it function. Becomes it a, becomes an identity. Yeah. Like how does but function become an identity? But it's obvious that we experience the thing as first being a girl and then taking and understanding the reproductive function as a secondary thing that like, certainly oh, modifies the and wholeness. That is but, why I am the way that I am. Yeah. But you have the experience of identity as a girl, as a boy, yes. before you even know what's going on. Um, so so that's that's kind of the, the observational problem. And then... Um, he kind of goes into, um, I mean, the, the whole conversation is a metaphysical conversation. Um, like what, what is gender um, in terms of metaphysics? Um, and so he's looking at the nature of difference because it's clear that men and women are different. And the kind of thing, the way that we are different seems to be um, in the form of a con- contrariety, right? Um, like men and women seem to be opposite in some sense, in the yeah. way that we would consider light and dark to be opposites, hot and cold to be yeah. opposites. It, and he describes it very fruitfully as a, as the extremes of a given order, mm-hmm. that once you know them, then you know the entirety of that order. So they right. satisfy the intellect. He says the intellect comes to rest in con- contrarieties, mm-hmm. because unlike saying something like, well, there's hot and there's warm, that leaves other things out, as it were. Right. Hot and cold contains the entirety of temperature. There's nothing mm-hmm. outside of hot and cold. Mm-hmm. And it's a similar way when we talk about male and female. I mean, obviously, it's precisely what's being contested by certain uh, descriptions of gender. But I think still we understand that there is nothing outside of male and female when it comes to humanity. It's right. like the, the, it's the extremes, these are the extremes the that encaps- encapsulate. Now, there are different instances of difference like a table is different from an orange but we wouldn't consider those to be opposites They're so opposites why of one of one order it's yeah like, yeah so so like why why is there no opposite of a frog <laughs> um but there is an opposite of cold it's because there is we're presupposing some fundamental unity yes um hot and cold belong to the same order or we could say the same species temperature yeah um and so uh, yeah, whenever you have opposites, contrarieties, differences of that sort that are really intelligible in that way, it always presupposes this um, common unity that, uh, to use Aristotelian entomistic language, would call that the species, and then male and female would be genus. Is that it? No, no, no. No, species is a specific. Yeah, well, not for the terms. Bah, anyway. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so so uh, that's how we understand contrarieties. But then, if we start thinking about it more, we start running into some problems. Um, let's see. I mean, the biggest problem is that oh, in yeah. the order in, in contrarieties, um, it usually takes a form privation structure. Right. So, yep. like um, when we understand the contrarieties of hot and cold, we understand that cold is the lack of heat. Right. And when we understand, like, uh, yeah, so so that that's every example of a contrariety you can understand in that form. I mean, it might be useful to just pause and even think about, like, see see if you can think of any opposites that don't take the form mm-hmm. privation structure. Tall, short, right? Like, yeah. Short is the lack of tall. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, Fast, slow. Yeah, exactly. Uh. So then, so then, if you're thinking about this logic, and this is the conclusion that Aristotle comes to, yes. and Aquinas follows suit because you're really stuck in a logical quandary, is that, well, if men and women are opposites and contrarieties, then yeah. it must take the, the form privation structure. Yes. And the way that it's typically done is that men are the positive thing, the positive yeah. element, and women are the negative element. And so that's why you have um, Aquinas, again, following suit and saying that a woman is just... A malformed man. Like yeah. the aim, like the the aim is for men to reproduce themselves as men, but because of some accidental uh, weather pattern or something like that, like the causes are kind of funny well, when you read about it. Yeah, and I, I think that for Aquinas, and I think people get this wrong because they want to say that oh, Aquinas just had some bad biological bad science, science, and now we know better. But that. No, it's, no, no. It's he, was, that he was stuck in a problem. A metaphysical problem. And he did use the biological science of, of uh, Aristotelianism uh, as a sort of way of buttressing the argument. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is true that he used it, but it's not true that it's why he used it. He didn't right. say, oh, I've got these biological facts, and here I'm going to give you some biological conclusions. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't even have made sense to him because unlike us, he's not a materialist, so he doesn't even think that you could go to the material facts in order to describe the formal right. distinction between man so and woman. So the reason why he's really stuck is because if this is how uh, any kind of contrariety exists, if you're like, well, actually, no, uh, it's not form, privation, structure, then what you would have to posit is that the reason why we're different is because we are different species, yeah, and, that and, there is no common unity, but yes. then that means that we are not sharing human nature. Correct. And yes. we know that's not true. And what I really liked um, in Schindler's article, uh, in the second one, he writes, um, da, 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 uh, in the face of the obvious problem with this conception, the form privation thing, which is so obvious as to defy belief, the conception would nevertheless seem to impose itself according to the inferential logic of Sherlock Holmes. When you eliminate the impossible, what is left is, however improbable, the only solution. Um, and I think that's why Aquinas concludes what uh, he does. Like, can there I, really yeah, is I, only one possible read, solution. Can I just read what he says right after that? Because it kind of clarifies for those, oh, the, yeah. for those who are just hanging on by the by the their fingernails here. Um, He says, in this case, what is impossible is attributing gender to form because form establishes the universal aspect of the organism, which is to say its species. If gender were a matter of form, then the male and female would represent two different species, but this is evidently impossible. Therefore, no matter how improbable it may seem, gender has to be a matter of matter. And what he means by this is that um, you have the attempt to instantiate the human form, which is not a sexed reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing. There's no difference 
there. It's the attempt to ultimately produce a male form. Um, you know, for Aquinas, the female is the passive uh, principle, the male is the active principle. And so uh, the m- mother sort of provides the matter upon which the active mm-hmm. principle works. Right. Um, and so can only really have a limiting effect as all matter does on form. And so so what the female provides is really just the um, the loss <laughs> in some ways of of the fullness of, of a instantiation of human nature. Right. So human nature is, is basically just male. Right. Um, that's, that's the active power, and it wants to produce a male. Um, and, but sometimes then, its goal is frustrated. And there's a limiting factor, and that's where the biological stuff comes in. Mm-hmm. But the, the important part to realize is that Aquinas has to say something like this um, if he's not going to say that man and woman are two different, different species. species. They, they have to basically be male and a version of the male. Yeah. Um, um, so that's there, the yeah, tradition I mean, there's, we inherit. There's, there's, uh, I mean, there's the the obvious problem, which is like we experience ourselves as like I don't experience myself as a deficient male. There's that. Um, and then there's well, I, the pro. There's also the problem of um, bottom up causation. Yeah. So uh, I I remember maybe this will be helpful for some people. And just as an aside, if like the form matter thing, if you're just kind of following along and it's kind of making sense, but kind of not, I mean, that really is essential for having philosophical theological conversations about metaphysics in general. Aquinas 101 is a really helpful place if you want to go and learn about what exactly those terms mean. Because if you're not sure, then you probably don't actually know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But, uh, I, I remember when I was learning about form and matter for the first time, my group of friends, we were, I mean, like, we were actually, like, asking all of these questions. I don't know why. Um, we just got into it. Um, and we remember having this experience, like, wait a second, that, um, like, the form is what, like, shapes and gives identity and wholeness, integrity to the matter. It's yeah. like our human soul is what makes us human. Um the same must be true for gender as well. Like, I, wow, I wonder if there's like a female soul yeah. and a male soul, yeah. which, you know, can be a little bit problematic because then it sounds like you're saying that there's two different species, yes. like the male thing and the, the female thing. The but it didn't universal. really make sense to us for it to be a, a bottom-up causation, like, oh, this is, we're like sharing this kind of like uh, gender-neutral soul that just happens to look this way or happens to look that way because we experience it as being, um, you know, something having to do with our identity. Like uh, there's a Thomistic principle that the effect cannot be greater than its cause. Mm. And that can be a confusing principle because we all know of examples where you do a small thing and then like it has massive consequences, Mm. but that's not what he's talking about he's talking about in the hierarchy of being Mm -hmm. um you can't have a cause on one level that will have an effect on a higher level so something that is purely material that cannot confirm meaning cannot then have a higher cause make something mean something because it's simply material which to be clear when thomas ultimately takes up the aristotelian tradition i think he is admitting this and this is what people find offensive it's like if it's the case that it is matter in its limiting capacity its lim- its limitation of form that produces mm-hmm. a woman then 
properly speaking, a woman is not meaningful in herself. Right. And that's why they say she is a deficient male. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're trying to insult women. Aquinas yeah, it's not because matter simply doesn't have the power to confer meaning and identity. Yeah, it's it comes from form. And so woman is a way of speaking about what happens to form. And yep. what happens to fundamentally male form is that it's limited to create this thing we call woman, but can be more properly understood as, you know, not woman. Uh, and that's not the case with the male power, which really is just the generative power of human nature itself. Um, so I want to read one footnote that Schindler says, because I think this is, he, he really says it very strongly, uh, what mm-hmm. the problem with this view is. So he says, beyond the evident and justified feminist complaint that this conception fails radically to do justice to the positive meaning of femininity. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you understand. Right. That it is not There's a, positive a lack reality. of maleness. Yeah. It is not a lack of generative power in some way. It is mm-hmm. not a simply limitation that is understood as a limitation of something else, but it is itself. The phenomenon appears, baby. You got to deal with it. Yeah. So he says, yeah, that's a big problem, but there's a metaphysical problem too. This also makes an accident, a purely historical contingency, namely the female privatio, quite literally bare an essential necessity of nature, oh, yeah. namely the reproduction of the species, which is a contradiction. So it's like saying that the fact that man is able to persist as a species depends entirely on matter behaving. It's Messing not from up, form. Really. Matter just, just not Failing. taking the human form in its fullness. The human form is never fully instantiated in the woman. She does not have the fullness of the generative power, according to Aristotle, which is all right to say. But then if you're going to say, and only because she fails to receive the human form, can the species endure? Only because she fails to receive the human form, can man procreate? Yeah, that's very does weird. Does marriage exist because of a metaphysical Failure. Uh, well, uh, yeah, failure yeah. of matter to receive the full f- human form. So what Schindler is doing is he wants to rethink this entirely. I mean, he wants to get out of this trap. Right, right. I mean, it really, is a, it really is a trap. You can't say that we're different species, but we also can't say that we're contrarieties in this, uh, yeah, form privation structure. Can I address one thing? Because now we've really gotten sure. into this, and so I'm worried <laughs> that what people... I wanted to just review this, but I realize now I'm nervous about a, an, a counter-argument. Oh. And I just think we should address it. So it's clear that Schindler is not just like missing something, but he's really on the money here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a question of like, well, maybe Aquinas was just wrong about the... No, that's cool. You answer your phone while I talk about this. Uh, maybe Aquinas was just wrong about the biological facts. Uh, you'll hear this all the time. Uh, he didn't know that women really do participate uh, through the, the ovum in the actual production uh, or, the, or the procreation of, of new human beings. So um, women are not simply the passive force. We know this because of science. Um, they are not simply the matter that receives the form, but they are actually a formal principle in the work of reproduction. They give new babies some genes. Uh, I'm thinking of baby genes now. But, uh, they, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> they contribute. And so Aquinas, yeah, unfortunately, it's very unfortunate, but he was wrong about this idea that the male is somehow the active power and the woman is just the passive power. And what we really have here is two correlated powers that both contribute to a singular 
active generation. Mm -hmm. So the complaint is then, well, then aren't we all beyond Aquinas in a certain way because we've corrected his biological mistakes? Uh, And now what we can do is say, you know, everything else sort of remains basically the same. But now we just say that um, both women and men contribute to like one process. Right. So, well, that sounds like we've corrected the biological error in Aquinas, but you're still stuck in the logical quandary. Yeah. And that's not solved. And that's what DC Schindler is really doing. And and the metaphysical problem, to be clear, is that when form meets, as it were, matter in the concrete individual, we have an instantiation of form in matter that doesn't leave anything behind. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it is true that there is a superabundance of the form. Like it can always be instantiated, um, you know, in another new individual. But the claim that people want to make is that there is a singular generative power of the human species as such that is neither male nor female now. So we've gotten past this sort of male active thing as the generative power of humanity that just fails within the female. We're not saying Mm -hmm. that. We're just saying we've got this generative power it's neither man or female. It's just that you get half of it or part of it or some of it into the female instance of humanity and you mm-hmm. get half of it or part of it or some of it into the male instance of humanity. And so then they come together in a fruitful act of reproduction. And this is the metaphysical description of the incompleteness model, right? Right, right, But right. it's not just that we have the problem from phenomenology where we're saying, hey, that doesn't feel right because... Wait, wait, I, so, so uh, yeah, in I'm other words to say... What you're getting at is that, all right, so if we reject uh, the form privation mm-hmm. theory, then what we've done is metaphysically embraced a you-complete-me theory. A privation-privation theory. Ah. <laughs> it's not just that the female is the deficient male. The male is the deficient male. Oh. Uh, because the generative power has not actually become powerful in the person. What I mean is the generative power is only known as a power if it generates like right. powers are devoted to act. So you yeah. know it because what, yeah. it, what it, okay. So what, what people want to sort of save the, the Thomistic thing by doing is saying like, okay, you've got a female and she has a, some part of the power and then you got the male and he's got the other part, part of the power, of power. And that is not how powers become instantiated in individuals as impotence. I'm just because thinking. in the individual, you are impotent. You cannot generate, which means the generative power did not instantiate itself in the human person. You don't have the generative power as an individual. Now, the reason this is a... So so what, what you have is just Sorry, like... Sorry, I'm just imagining He-Man going, I have part of the power. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't quite have the same ring. Um, and, and so it sounds like it's a solution, but in fact, it's just a return to the metaphysical problem. Right. Aquinas already was dealing with precisely that idea. He was okay. saying, well, obviously you can't have the generative power just be partially instantiated because that means creation just failed. Like God had uh, the human species, which has this power. He makes a particular human being as the universal form in unity with the matter. And Mm -hmm. oh, whoops, part of that universal form uh, turned out impotent. (laughs) Bummer. And then you just want to ratify that as like the nature of things. Right, right. So Um, God is the guy that just keeps producing impotent uh, versions of human species. Rather, what DC Schindler wants to say is that, uh, well, he wants to say a lot of things, but, but he wants to say that that, um, we are not dealing with 
two privations. Privations. Okay. We're dealing with two complete modes of the human substance. Right. Okay. Um, which uh, I, I'll kind of begin next with his conclusion and then walk back to a weird thing about hierarchy that he said that was really exciting once I finally got it. Um, so then the question is like where to, in a certain sense, locate gender. Um, if it's not like a bottom-up causality thing, like just from yes. the matter. Um, but we also can't say it's totally a top-down thing because then that would put us in different species. Where is it, especially because we know that it has some kind of top-down quality to it mm-hmm. because we experience it as meaningful identity, uh, which is not something that mere matter can provide. Um, so his solution is to... Uh, where does he have it? Um that gender represents um, two different ways of being a single kind of substance or a mode of being. Uh, the reason why he's able to get there is because of another Thomistic principle that you are able to distinguish between, what's it, essay and existence. Yes. Um, so the fact that something exists and then like it's what it is, you can separate what something is from that something it, mm-hmm. it is. Uh, like we can distinguish that in our mind. And so he's kind of locating gender in the what, I think yeah, the I essay is what. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, that, that part I think is kind of difficult to wrap your mind around and it's a lot easier to walk through it once you're actually reading the stuff that he's written. Um, but I think the key word is seeing um, gender as... Uh, like a mode of substance um, and substance is still kind of at this top down level, but it's not putting you in two different species categories. I think that even if you don't know the terminology, what exactly that precisely academically means, it seems to resonate with how we just experience gender because we do the same things, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. but we do it in a different mode, in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like women are strong, but in a different way uh, than men are strong, which is why like women get so like offended, like women are strong too. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in a different way. (laughs) Calm down. I think that... What Schindler does here is preserves the mystery of, the, of of gender as something given. Like, it's not like everyone wants to say, okay, I want to understand what gender is because it appears so mysterious to me. And so, what I want to do is find out what non gendered things make it, which is a materialist way of understanding reality. Yeah. You say, okay, it must be traits. So, let's look at the traits. And when you add up all these traits together, you get woman. Or it must be the biology. So, let's look at the biology. And when you add up all these biological facts, you get woman. Mm-hmm. Um, when what Schindler wants to give credence to is the fact that form comes first, is a priority of spirit, where you say, no, 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 what's mm-hmm. given is that there is a whole, a complete thing. God creates Eve. God creates Adam. Right. Um, so he... And that this gives meaning to all the parts. So because this mystery is created, namely man and woman, then we can say things about the mystery. We can say, wow, it appears that this mysterious thing that is a gratuitous gift from God has all these traits. But we don't say, if you have all the traits, you create the, the mysterious gift of God. And right, I think that's right. an important uh, um, bo- uh, top-down versus bottom-up distinction. Right. Uh, so he says the whole content of the species is present in each gender differently. Yeah. 
Um, and again, I think you just have to read the essay in order to grasp what he means by a mode of essence. Yes, which we're all working um, on over here. <laughs> yeah, I still have questions, but part 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 of what I wanted to talk about too um, is like how how can he have like the force to be able to say that like how can he just assert ah yes it's a mode of essence like where does the argumentation come from and i think a really key idea is something that uh is kind of hidden away in a footnote i mean he says it elsewhere but this is i think the most straightforward place so uh if you do have the magazine it's um in the perfect difference article and it's uh, footnote 45 he says, the basic claim I wish to make is that there cannot be an internal transcendence of form without some analogous differentiation of gender. Yeah. And I assume that when you hear that, that's going to mean absolutely nothing to you. Are you um, shot? <laughs> no, I wanted to. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, this is kind of the way that I was thinking about it. And so we're going to start somewhere else that seems unrelated, which is um, a lot of people, when we ask this question, what is the meaning of gender? What we do, I think, as modern people. So we say, okay, well, obviously we have this gender thing going on in human beings, but how about we start looking at how it shows up in different animals and in the plants? Um, and then uh, we can find like what is like the bare bones, minimum, mm -hmm. absolute essence, core of gender. And then once we discover that, then we can look and find that in human beings. Yes, this is why people look to lobsters to understand human nature or they describe <laughs> man by talking about wolves or something. They have this idea that it's sort of an evolutionary kick where they're like, yeah. the truth is at the bottom. Right. Yeah. Um, but this proves really problematic um, because most, most animals are going to have gender divisions in the way that we do, but there's always just those weird outliers that we can't make sense of and like the conservatives don't really have a great response to either yeah. like um oh gosh what i mean there's certain there's certain animals that will like switch yeah. gender roles yeah. mm -hmm. um like particularly like the lower down you get in yeah. the the hierarchy like fish can be very weird yeah. seahorses is a great example i know that there's not not mammals but i mean there's certainly like lower animals that don't aren't quite fish that have weird uh gender relations going on but yes. I, I can't i can't remember what it is and especially when you get down to plants you see that there's like the active and passive principles but it's usually united within the plant itself yeah exactly. and so if you're looking for the core of gender you're like well i guess at the end of the day it really lines up to say that gender is fluid because that's the way that we experience it in the animal kingdom yeah. um what schindler is doing <laughs> What, what I find so exciting about what he was doing is that like this isn't a problem for him. And I think from the other kind of conservative, typical theology of the body response, like that was always a problem to me. It seemed like a gaping hole. Yeah. Um, like, why can't I account for the fact that gender, we're like, gender is absolute when it comes to human beings. But then when you look at certain animals, like, well, yeah. it's not, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's awkward. It's a hole in the argument. Um but part of the problem is that we're looking at gender from the perspective of modern people. 
Like we just want to dissect everything. Um, but Schindler approaches it from the perspective of how the ancients would look at reality. Yeah. Like you fundamentally understand that reality is revealing something, that it's symbolic, it has meaning. And when you make this observation, you're not doing it in isolation from all the different instances of gender. Right. If you look at the whole thing together, you start to notice a pattern. And that pattern is really fascinating because what you find is that as you... Um, grow higher in complexity, mm -hmm. not just in complexity, but in the hierarchy of being. Yeah. Um, so you begin with like inanimate things like rocks. Yeah. They have no generative powers. Yeah. You move to the next level of being and you have plant, plant life. Yeah. They can generate, but gender is within the plant itself. Yep. And then you move to the next level of being, which is another like metaphysical jump yep. to like these animals that can move around, have locomotion. And now you start to see that gender is split. Into if, if it's like less complex then it's not as distinct, but the more complex it gets, especially mm -hmm. going up into like highly intelligent mammals, mm -hmm. the more distinct gender gets. So you start to see yeah. that this there's this whole pattern that somehow the instantiation of gender is also connected with like the rise in the hierarchy of totally. being yeah. with the rise of complexity of which man is the crown of that whole pattern. Can I add and, one more thing? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's not just that gender as male, female sexual difference becomes divided into individuals in the animal as opposed to the plant. But as you mentioned, also uh, the scale of complexity in the animal world itself um, is mirrored by increasing not just distinction of gender that does happen where it's like okay you get over this sort of androgynous fish thing and you and you <laughs> when you got cats and dogs it's like well that's a female cat that's a male cat but we also notice is an increasing importance of gender to the entire life of the organism as you grow in complexity right. so like right. for instance you know a um cats are probably a pretty good example it's like when is gender important to a cat it's like, well, basically reproduction. Mm -hmm. and, and and then can you really tell that it's a male cat or a female cat or a male dog and a female dog afterward? No, like you'd have to like do some investigation and see. Like, but as you move up in complexity, you also see that the work of reproduction and, and what animal gender looks like starts to really influence like the particular behaviors, the length of time that the um, mothers within do. animal species yeah, have yeah. with their young. There's like, it's not... There's still an infinite qualitative leap once you get to man and woman, but there's definitely a growing throughout the entire hierarchy of being. There's a growing sense, not just of distinctiveness in gender, but importance of gender, it seems like. Right. Um, so, so, now, so now we're looking at all these instances of gender as this big pattern. When you finally get to human beings, it's really clear, uh, and, and this is what he's talking about. And that little um, basic claim, I'll just read it again. The yeah. basic claim I wish to make is that there cannot be internal transcendence of form mm -hmm. without some analogous differentiation of gender. So the pattern that you're noticing is that as the form of that particular thing yeah. uh, grows in the hierarchy of being and grows in complexity, uh, it's more it's more transcendent. It's more top down, um, yeah. especially so when you get to human beings with rationality. So the and that we need to slow down on that I think a little bit because the transcendence of matter by form is what allows um, like an animal to move. For instance, it's that um, the form informs matter to make this particular concrete individual, but it's also the case that 
the matter can all be replaced within the living organism, and yet that organism is still that organism, which means that the form is transcendent of the matter, and that's how we understand the phenomenon of life, is that well, a living being maintains homeostasis and replaces all of its physical parts in um, eating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what we, so philosophically, we have to understand that the form has transcended the matter. It's like if the thing is still there, but all the matter is different, then, then there's something in the thing that uh, is transcendent of matter. I don't know yeah, how to say Yeah, I mean, I guess it. at this point, we're just trying to explain matter distinction yeah. which again if that's not familiar to you if all of this is sounding like bs you really do have to go and just learn what these terms actually mean and it it's an exciting thing like it really will like open up the whole world of theology to you because i think all yeah i mean like well, we're just having a conversation with air but you do so see this you do see this increasing transcendence as you go up the hierarchy of being and when you get to man um you, you see this spoken of in genesis where um you know, the animal species are all created out of matter and they obviously transcend it to some extent because they move and they eat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, and they pudder in being over time. Right. I mean, that's the, yeah. But then you also have man and then the Bible sort of slows down when it talks about the creation of man and says that uh, is created individually, um, male and female, mm-hmm. Adam and Eve, two distinct acts of divine power, uh, create this being and we understand that unlike the animals, the form of man, the soul, mm-hmm. is um, uh, immortal. It's an immortal soul. Um, so it transcends matter supremely, supremely yeah. literally. Like the soul has a substantial existence that you could take away all the matter and man and would remain, persist, which yeah. just means to say that we don't we don't really die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it also... Uh, is that same phenomenon, um, I'm not going to give a big argument for that, is the reason why man can be an intellectual being, right? Is that um, Mm -hmm. in his intellect, which is his soul, he uh, is open to the infinite. So he's made for everything. He's he's immortal, is an immortal life. And that this, in the actual life of the human animal, expresses itself as an intellectual capacity, the ability to um, right. to think and to be apart from material conditions. Like I'm right now thinking of Neptune, ah, Neptune, and it's not because there's a material, you know, connection. It's because I transcend matter in a final and supreme way, and that's why I'm able to think. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is a um, lot of philosophy for uh, at least a lot of description. Well, yeah, yeah, but uh, I think there's just no a, fi- way, a final, final point. No other way to do it. And I, I hope people find this helpful because just uh, jumping into this article on your own without the background of what the terminology is would just be very confusing. Um, so so my, my big question when I was working through this article no, twice now um, was how does he go from like, well, that's, that's neat, that pattern, mm-hmm. the hierarchy of being, cool. Um, I see the problems that you were laying out with like the form privation thing. Okay, got it. So how is it that you jump from like <laughs> that this has to be the case then like how is it that, that your argument has force and i think part of it mm-hmm. is um because if you're under i think he takes as a basic premise that the world is symbolic and uh you have this hierarchy of being in which the different um 
particularities, like the different like uh, instances of creation, reveal something of the nature of God until you get to the human person, mm-hmm. which is the fullness of revelation of God in matter. Yeah. Um, and because God is love, because God is triune, because God is life-giving, that needs to be reflected in reality in the highest way, in the form in which that takes is gender. Yeah. Um, because it, I mean, like, I mean, this is, this is all the theology of the body stuff, like the Trinitarian, like image of marriage and the family, all that stuff I think we're generally familiar with. Um, but then suddenly the, the whole pattern starts to make more sense and why it takes on the force of an argument. Um, if this is all revealing the nature of God and we see this pattern where gender becomes more distinct and more important, that this is playing a specific like it's it's deeply it has a deeply symbolic reality. It's deeply yeah. meaningful yeah. Uh, in revealing the nature of God within creation. And, and it also seems like David understands that if we're going to say something metaphysically about a creature, that it has to come to fruition in the individual creature concretely, mm-hmm. and gender he says is that coming to reality of the internal transcendence of form so in any given animal it's not enough to just say oh yeah their species um or or the the um the form is always transcendent of the matter there's always more to express the reproduction is possible because you can never exhaust um, the content of the form, the form is always like an abundance, a plenitude, mm-hmm. and individuals are never exhaustive instances of the plenitude of the form. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to simply say that. The kind of individual that is created in and through this relationship of a un, an inexhaustible form being instantiated in the concrete individual has to itself be visible in the individual has to itself make a difference in the individual, has to be symbolized, right. present in the individual. So if you get, if you, if you pushed DC Schindler against the wall and said, what is gender? I think he'd say something like, um, is the concrete coming to be of the transcendence of the form, of the divine idea of the thing in the particular thing, in the particular creature? Now, that seems so totally right to me, but I realize it's kind of, it can seem like crazy language. So I just want to, speak it I want to say it in a way that I want to show why this makes sense out of my experience and then see if that is helpful okay because it seems to me the most fundamental thing about a gendered creature as opposed to like a rock is that when you look at it you know from the fact of its gender alone that there is more right that there that it does not exhaust the the form Mm-hmm. So if you look at a male peacock, for instance, um, one thing you know about the male peacock is that there is more to the divine idea of peacockness. <laughs> Should have picked a different animal. Um, there is more to it than that individual concretely instantiates in the body. And it's not enough to just say, well, yeah, every peacock is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Because then you just have a spectral logic. It's like the 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 form is is not exhausted quantitatively, 
but you can imagine right. it an infinite future where you, you, you make the last peacock. And, and so you've fully expressed every possible peacock. The, <laughs> then the form's not really inexhaustible. It's just sort of practically inexhaustible. It's just like, uh, oh, gosh. Um, oh, now I'm thinking like mathematics, like the, like the sets. Actual like, infinity versus... Uh, no, just yeah. like if you have a series of numbers and then how many combinations of those numbers yeah, right. can you have until all possible mm -hmm. combinations have been exhausted. Mm -hmm. For the mathematical minds, yes. I hope that helps. <laughs> okay, but, but Schindler's point is that the inexhaustibility of the form, the inability for any one creature to be the fullness of God's idea of it has to be present in the particular creature. There needs to be a sign of its own being surpassed. It needs to be a sign of the fact that it's almost like a concrete instance of humility in the living creature because what it says, what gender always says is I am not enough, that there is more, that I am one of, I, am, I do not exhaust God's idea. Right. Do not exhaust the divine power here. Yeah. Um, so it, it it corresponds with the the sense of like there is a completeness, and yet I don't exhaust the mystery. The, yeah. Without falling into like I am broken. Right. Because it would also be wrong to say, well, when you have the male and the female, you do exhaust the mystery of the human form right, or of the peacock right. form, even. And especially, I mean, it's just so awesome then, like to to see just how like the child totally destroys that paradigm. Yes. I, I mean. Yeah, like clearly the male and the female don't exhaust the meaning. Well, think about what a child does when it's busy being the boys and being the girls and thinking about its mom and its dad. Um, it is not thinking about the generative power. That is, to me, obvious, and it's creepy to say otherwise, to think of mm -hmm. everything as some sort of proto-rehearsal of something that's only really uh, yeah, reproductive. Yeah. Rather, the the world comes to him in... in in its inexhaustibility. It's like what the child knows is that there is a way of doing things that is not the same as his way of doing things. What gender gives him first and foremost is the symbolization of his own inexhaustible human nature, that, that there's adventure, that there's more, that mm -hmm. there's more to be said, that there's another angle on any given object because it's always right divided between... Anyways, that... Yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, that's the experience of children. Like, you know that you're different, but you don't experience that difference as being like incomplete. Like, yeah, I need exactly. the girls to be around in order for me to be difference, yeah. like a, a boy. Mm -hmm. But you still have this notion of like, there is another world. So you might I think don't belong then, to it. okay, so what? Is he just saying that reproduction is not important? That it's just like that gender is all about symbolizing the inexhaustibility of the form in the concrete individual. And it's just like, why not just have like, you know, a little hand with a sign that says, I'm, I didn't exhaust the form here. Like, why does it have to be gender? And, and, and yeah. I think the beauty of his argument is the fittingness of it, which is right, that right. It's a the very argument. symbol, the very symbol in the individual that the, that the divine idea of man is not exhausted in this concrete instance, but rather the concrete instance is, constituted by a plenitude that exceeds it, mm -hmm. that very symbol is the way that man procreates. It's the right, way that right. everything <laughs> reproduces. And what is reproduction? Reproduction is making another instance of the form. Right. So the very thing that says the form cannot be exhausted is the thing that functionally we use to make another instance of the form precisely right. because the form can't be exhausted. Right. There's more reproduction to do because you're never going to do it all. It's beautiful. I mean, it's fantastic. And, it, and it's a, and it, it's, it's the fittingness of it yeah. is I think the primary force of the argument. Um, 
And so, so it's not that he's saying, oh, no, 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 ignore all this reproduction stuff. You guys are all like, you know, conservative biologists. He's not making that insult. He mm-hmm. wants to deepen people's insight that reproduction matters by saying that when we do that, yeah, it is true mm-hmm. that gender is all about the function of oh, procreation in man and reproduction in the animals. It's all about that. But it's all about that because of what it is, right. the inner transcendence of the form and the inexhaustibility of the species form. Um, it's like the necessity comes second. It's like, yeah, isn't that amazing? You're so symbolic of inexhaustibility that you can actually reproduce. It's yeah. like reprodu- yeah. reproduction like <laughs> pops out as a gratuity almost, which is, I think, how reproduction is actually experienced. It's like, right. I don't want to talk about that, though. <laughs> but it just seems like... The experience of plenitude and inexhaustibility. I mean, like this isn't this what we mean when we have I mean, this, this is romance what you of it all? Mean, yeah, like, like gender is fun. Gender it's is super fun. fun. It's not like I've got a function here and it won't work without someone. So <laughs> better heal my sickness while I'll heal yours. That's well, a fun time. No, it's it's the it's the call of the species form. It's like God saying, "Hey, we can do this all again." Oh, yeah. I created, but let's do it again. Um, You're not speaking into the mic, Mark. I think I'm being loud enough, though. <laughs> I'm excited. This Don't great. forget about the pillow. Anyways. But I, I think I think from that, we can just um, gesture at the last article that I wanted to talk about. But, I mean, we're really out of time. But uh, to kind of flip it, like, speaking of not fun, um, <laughs> Christopher Lash, uh, he wrote... Um, yeah. The Sexual Division of Labor, the Decline of Civic Culture, and the Rise of the Suburbs. Not a very exciting title, but I, I mean, I, I love this article. Um, but I think uh, this is a very concrete example of what happens um in a in modernity in a in a place that's like very close to home because i mean like we we live in the era of the rise of the suburbs Mm -hmm. like what happens when we start to close down the world of mystery of men and women um because we both experience it differently so just to kind of uh gesture at it a little bit he um He's comparing two two books. Uh, one was um, the Feminine Mystique, uh, very famous feminist text, mm-hmm. um, and then the other one was uh, Growing Up Absurd by mm-hmm. Paul something. I can't remember mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and he was um, Growing Up Absurd is more talking about um, the dissatisfaction of men in the workplace, and the Feminine Mystique is really talking about like the dissatisfaction of women in our modern suburban culture. Um, both of them come to different conclusions. Both of them totally don't totally get it right um, because um, uh, growing up absurd is kind of talking about uh, the world in which men grow up into, into this system that doesn't want men. They just want cogs in a machine. Mm-hmm. And I think so many men experience that. I'm useless. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just, I, I'm replaceable. Mm-hmm. I'm not important. The state has really taken over any possible useful job that I could do. Um, and so he kind of describes like the family as being like a refuge from that whole dissatisfying world where you just go out, you're the cog in the machine and you just create more useless stuff for people to buy for the purpose of consumption and economic growth. But I mean, it's really meaningless. And I think so many men experience this. And then in the feminine mystique, um, uh, Betty, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Frieden. Yeah. Um, she, I mean, she's, uh, talking about kind of disaffected women who, um, 
like when you had the flight from the cities into the suburbs, the suburbs were kind of seen as this refuge from like the craziness of the city. But now you have women whose like their whole world has just been like isolated and truncated into just being alone in their suburban home. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's obviously still like interaction with like other people and they're doing stuff, going to church, like having the clubs, meetings, friends, whatever. Um, but it's certainly a lot more isolated way of living than even in what was previously done, just like the generation before in the cities. Yes. Um, and so her solution is in order to like invest like meaning, creativity, and purpose in women that they just need to go back into the workforce and be a part of this world of men. And both, it seems like both genders are kind of looking at each other's situation going, man, I wish I had that mm-hmm. like this like womanly sphere seems like a refuge from like my utter meaningless out in the world yeah. and women are like i'm experiencing meaninglessness and just like i'm not being challenged this is lonely i yeah. want to be part of the men's world but if it's already created disaffected men that certainly isn't going to be the solution for women yeah. but he i mean he pulls out in much more detail it's very very good you should get the magazine just for that yeah and he also brings up um the loss of a woman's world. Um, so it's, it's, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Federici article. Is it really? I mean, what time is it? Are we doing? We're doing too long. We've been, it's been a long it's, time. It's, it's, it's been a while. Oh it's my gosh. While. Okay. I just looked at the time. Um, yeah, I don't think, I think, uh, for the Federici article, Mark wrote, uh, what's it called? Like a little introduction yeah. to it. And I think that is sufficient for sure. setting that up. And that's good because now they have to buy the magazine if they want to even finish the review. Hey. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maria. I think the Schindler articles are so important. I think that what they inaugurate is a new era of theology concerning gender. They, they, they take the next step. Because of Schindler, there is an open door and a new road of thinking. We don't need to do the same like how do we make – how do we make the Aristotelian model fit somehow, the the Catholic thing? Instead, we can just do the Catholic thing. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm so glad of that. And I hope all the other essays support our understanding of the need for that open door and that mm-hmm. new road. Because as Federici and Lash and, and, and Lafort will suggest the reduction of gender to kind of a very safe, non-mysterious reality has immediate cultural, right. social consequences. Right. Like you, you will live in a less mysterious world because a what less is the fun world? world. <laughs> what is the world except men and women? Like, like we, I'm gonna be cheesy here. Like we are the world. Like we're the subjects. <laughs> the, you know, we're what it's for. We're the, we're the crown of creation. It's, it's, the whole thing is a construction that we're all working Everything's on. Everything's about us. Okay, it is <laughs> like man. The world is made for man, and we're supposed to. I mean, and ultimately for the God Man, have uh, fun worshiping God. <laughs> and we're we're supposed to have fun worshiping God, and then the moment we get everything wrong about the very subjects of the creation, man and woman, male and female, He created them. Then of course the world itself becomes a ill fit and shoddy construction. There's just no way around that. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we can worry that when you talk about gender you're somehow narrowing the focus of theology and philosophy to like issues of sexual ethics almost. I think it's precisely the opposite is the case. It's because we have such a constricted view of gender that we always feel like we have to talk about sexual ethics when it's because gender no longer appears to us as mysterious. It just appears to us as 
a function. So then we have to figure out when we're allowed to do the function and when we're not and what ways we're not allowed to do. And as if that constitutes the whole of the mystery. But obviously, if anything, the pontificate of John Paul and then Benedict and Francis, um, they've just shown us that it is in the mystery of man and woman somehow that we're going to find the the fire we need to burn down the, the idolatrous constructions of modernity. So Buy our magazine. Yeah, do. And thanks so much. Thanks so much for putting up with us. We'll see you next time.